This text is from the Nag Hammadi collection, which is a collection of texts uh, named after the city in Egypt where they were found back in 1945 uh, by a local farmer. He came upon the jar one day while he was working, um, opened it and found 12 leather bound texts inside. These were filled with 52 treatises. Now we aren't sure how the jar ended up where it did, but a seminary professor of mine, uh, Reverend Dr. Hal Tausig, holds a story that they were at an old monastery um, some miles up the river. Now, each governing body in power at the time uh, changed the rules on religion, and some of them really strongly enforced um, what should and should not be read. Now, Tausig's story is that soldiers came to the monastery to make sure that the monks were reading the correct scriptures of a particular emperor in power. And being given warning, the monks hid the documents in the jar. He imagines it did not go well for the monks as the jar remained unopened until it was found buried way downriver later. Now, this farmer was not able to read these texts. Uh, some of the texts, like one for today, was written in Coptic, while some um, are in Aramaic. He took the jar home, where his mother began to use the contents as kindling. Luckily, he was convinced by a friend to take some of the texts to be appraised, and as a result, the remainder were saved. These texts have served to aid in the liberation of the idea of God, the Bible, and widen our understanding of the ancient audiences that read them, while avoiding thousands of years of orthodoxy and orthopraxy stacked on top of our traditional New Testament. Here are a few more insights from a book called A New New Testament that will help us in the context of this text. This is, so far as we found, the only manuscript that's been uncovered of this exact text. But a number of other first through third century Christian prayers share some sentences and phrases with the prayer of thanksgiving. I always wonder which common Christian sentences and phrases do you think we will uh, leave behind for our descendants? What do we hope they'll find? And how are those two things different? As with a lot of our other scriptures, both in and out of the canon, when and where this text was actually written is unknown. Uh, the title was added later during copying, which was the tradition of the time. This text doesn't explicitly uh, refer to Jesus, but the mention of the bloodless meal is a Eucharist. It likely belongs to an early Christian practice of worship around a meal, probably similar to what a lot of you are doing now, lounging on couches, maybe surrounded by your people. This particular prayer is special because there are a very few prayers in the New Testament. Spiritual practices like these provide significant perspective on beginnings of Christianity and can inspire our own spiritual practices in a way that is original and expressive and outside of the conventional box in both practice and idea. Early Christians were devoid of religious rigidity and hierarchical conformity that appears in our later tradition and that we now are still battling. The beginnings of the Christian movement were very open in attributing both masculine and feminine character traits to God. This God has a womb and gives birth. In this prayer, God has a womb through which creation happens. This expressive and creative prayer, full of evocative imagery and spiritual intimacy, provides more to felt dimensions of life than professions of belief in theology. Or as the old folks at my church back home used to say, I know that I know that I know that I know. And that is the thanksgiving of this text. 
knowing God, a knowing that is enhanced by, but more than what your mind understands. It's more than the understanding of words or, or books or theologies. This is a knowing that resonates at your very core. It is a secret your soul keeps. It is a connection to a bit of the fire that lit up the stars and breathed life into the mud. That, that first inspiration, it's a connection to the spark of creation. This knowledge is intrinsic and goes both ways. We read about it in Psalm 139 and in Jeremiah. It's being known before you knew you. It's the knowing you knew before you knew it. It's just that sometimes we forget what we have always known. This text models that we can connect, reconnect to that knowing, how we can reconnect to God, and that is through prayer. Take a little time out every day, not just the days where you feel lost or lonely or devastated, and pray. Connect. Talk to God and listen deep down in your core for God. Beloved, there's no substitute for this. Now, I'm not talking about magic words to say when you want the universe to give you things. As the good Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis has said before, God is not Santa Claus. God is not a genie granting wishes. I am talking about a meditative time in which you commune with the divine for the express purpose of connecting back to knowing God. Because once you live more into this awareness of a connection, once you, as Brother Lawrence described it, practice the presence of God, once you connect to the God that is in you, that is in me, that is in all of us, you will find that this connection, this knowledge grounds you. It grounds your work. It grounds your activism. It grounds your life and affects all that you do. It affects how you show up. It clarifies your decision-making process. When you are connecting to this kind of knowing, you can regularly check in with yourself by asking, is this God-rooted act action? Is this love-rooted activism? And then adjust accordingly. As Maya Angelou taught us, when you know better, you do better. From this point of origin, interrogate the ways you show up in spaces. Inspect your money management. Reconsider what content you allow in your life. Is this rooted in what I know to be God? Is this rooted in love? This is the protection they were asking for at the end of this prayer. Sure, we all mess things up along the way as we follow the way of Jesus. But as Howard Thurman put it, a crown is placed above our heads that we for the rest of our lives are trying to grow tall enough to wear. It's all about growth. As a performer, the metaphor of the stumble through makes this idea very clear for me. For those who don't perform, um, a stumble through is the first attempt to get through a show and a rehearsal. You've been given your blocking and choreography. You're just off book with your lines. You've had some music rehearsals. And now it's time to try and make it through the entire show without stopping. Sure, there will be mistakes and maybe even a little bit of angst, but it's a time to find the holes. See what needs more attention so you can do better the next time. And it is a time when you see the glimmer of hope and beauty in what is being created. By the end, you're excited because you now see it all a little bit clearer. You now know what can be better and you know your role in making it so. As you are in your stumble through called life, the musical, check in with your knowing. You got your mind stayed on freedom. 
You study the Bible and the words of theologians, great thought leaders, activists. Put it all together with the knowledge you have had from before you knew you were you. The thing that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know. And let that knowing guide you. A bunch of people who hold that as their baseline, well, they could change the world. May it be so.